I, uh, I hate skinny preachers. Um, I've asked God for 20 years to make me skinny, and he won't do it. I, uh, I'm not from here, as you can tell, but I do love it here. And I was so excited to get out of the summer heat to come where it's cool. What in the world is going on? I took a nap today and felt like I was in Afghanistan. <laughs> How many of you were here this morning? Great. I had a lot of fun this morning. I told my story this morning. I told my story of having a nervous breakdown and having a radical encounter with Jesus and how he changed my life and now how I see signs, wonders, healings, miracles, and I teach people in the prophetic. But boy, I sure didn't see that coming, ever. I, um, I told God three things growing up. There's three things I'll never do. I'll never move back to my own hometown after university. I will never pastor a church. And I would never homeschool my kids even for one year. So he made us do all three. And now I just confess every day I will never be a millionaire. I will never be a millionaire. <laughs> Don't ever tell God you're not going to do something. Don't do that. It's like there's angels that he puts around, and when you say you're not going to do something, it's like they report it to the Father, and then he makes you do it. How many of you, he's asked you to do something you thought you would never do? Raise your hand. Interesting. I'm going to go a completely different direction tonight of what I was thinking until worship. And boy, I sure did love that worship. But I was in the back corner trying to get some coffee, and uh, I'm just going to go a different direction. Is that okay? And I am going to, my wife was so proud of me this morning because I talk really slow this morning. And at home, uh, the church that we pastor, they get mad at me all the time because I talk really fast. And when the anointing starts flowing, I really talk fast. Now, I know I sound strange. I sound strange to me. and I'm not even British. I really, I don't like listening to myself preach. Uh, I was at TBN three weeks ago uh, uh, filming a 10-part television series and the camera people and the people there, they just kept staring at me the whole time. And I just said, do I sound weird to you? And they said, yes, very weird. And, and so when I, I'm, I'm just going to go for it. Can I go for it? Is that okay? All right, I just want us to act like uh, we're in the States and you guys came to a conference. That way I won't be so insecure. Because when you talk, you sound really smart. All British people sound smart. Not, I'm not even trying to be funny. British people, Americans are infatuated when someone has a British accent. It's like, oh, if I had a British accent, instead of having 2,000 people at our church, we'd probably have 10. I mean, even those cheesy Christian movies, Jesus is British in the movies. You ever noticed that? What is that all about? There's no way Jesus Christ was English. He's from the Middle East. And so anyway, I'm just going to go for it. If you have your Bibles or in today's world, open up your phone to Isaiah chapter 40. Satan has a full-time job. His full-time job is misconceptions. He loves misconceptions. Misconception is the most dangerous thing in the world. The Holocaust was based off of misconception. World wars have been fought over misconceptions. September 11, 2001, men genuinely believed that those men that flew the planes into the Twin Towers, they literally believed they were serving God. A misconception is the most dangerous thing in the world. So what's the opposite of a misconception? A proper conception. 
So the first thing out of the Lord's mouth in Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, repent. Everyone say repent. That word means metanoia in Greek. It means change the way you think. The first thing Jesus Christ ever said in his public ministry, change the way you think. So a conception is what we need. We need a proper conception, who God is, what he thinks, what he's like, what the kingdom is like. Jesus, all he did, he would say, you've been told, but I say, the kingdom of God is like. He just, uh, they called him teacher. Remember when Mary goes to put her hands on him and he says, don't lay a hold of me yet. I haven't been to the father because he hadn't ascended yet. What, what did she say? When she called out to him, she said, Rabboni. Jesus didn't just do healings and miracles. He was a teacher. He's still a teacher. He was a teacher. He is a teacher. He will always be a teacher. Do you know the oracles of God are still taught in heaven? God's kids, when they go to heaven, if they're not fully equipped in the oracles of God, who God is, his kingdom, teaching still goes on there. There's some of you that have been giving a teaching gift. You're going to do it in heaven. Some of you are looking at me like, what is this guy talking about? We're not going to sit on marshmallows in heaven and let angels massage our shoulders and sing for all eternity. We're all going to have assignments. God, he's a teacher. In his core, he loves to teach. Rabboni. And so he teaches. Change the way you think. So I want to tackle the biggest misconception tonight that I have found in 15 years of walking in the prophetic. I've written two books on the prophetic. I've been in two of Darren Wilson's documentaries that have been seen all over the world about the supernatural, the Father Light movies, the Holy Ghost, Holy Ghost Reborn. I'm about to be in a third. I do conferences on uh, the supernatural. I speak all over the place. Our, our church has been growing rapidly for the past four years. Um, I've had two angelic white feathers manifest in the natural realm when I'm praying for people in the last month. I saw five blue angelic feathers manifest when I was praying for another pastor in our town. Um, I've had four heavenly encounters. I've seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Over the last 15 years, my life has really gone from being a nervous breakdown to a lot of the book of Acts. Just read Acts. That's what my, book, my life's been like, really. And I... I I am making the assumption, I'm being facetious, if you're here on a Sunday night, you want more of God. Right? I am, I am going to preach tonight as though this is a prophetic conference and you paid a lot of money because you want something in the kingdom you don't currently have. I did not do this this morning. I was really kind. I was really sweet, fat and cuddly like a little bear. And I, I am not mad at anyone in here, but there, something came on me back there and I'm very... Uh, righteously stirred. And so as I get loud, it's not about you. I'm going to come against the misconception that keeps God's kids from experiencing more of him. And most of you in here think that if God wants something for you, then it will just happen. And if that's true, here's what you need to do. Take your hand and just pop your face right now. That's not the way it works. Isaiah 40 Verse 31, those who wait upon the Lord. Now, I, I love to eat. I used to think that I was a foodie until my wife had to describe to me. She said, sweetie, foodies aren't people that love to eat. Foodies are people that love to cook like expensive food and it's real fancy. I love food. We went to a great place today. Oh, and by the way, I was telling John and Debbie, England gets a really bad rap for food. Maybe in the past that was true. I've had delicious meals. I love food. I wish there were six meals a day. I love it. I love going to a wonderful restaurant because at a wonderful restaurant, here's what happens. A waiter comes out and says, Mr. Norris, so glad to see you. I see you has a reservation here, Mrs. Norris. Please sit down. This is, we'll call him Carl. Carl will be your waiter tonight. 
Carl comes to the table and Carl says, what can I do for you? What do you need? Would you like some more water? Would you like some more tea? Would you like some more coffee? Would you like some more food? What do you want? A bad waiter would do this. A bad waiter would go in the kitchen, smoke his little cigarette in the kitchen and never come out. After about an hour, if your waiter never waited on you, you would never go back to that restaurant. Those who wait upon the Lord, he shall renew their strength. On all seven continents, most theologians, most teachers, most preachers, most pastors think that waiting upon the Lord is to be still and sit and wait. That is not what it means. The root word for waiter is wait. A good waiter is attentive and active and aggressive. The best waiters in the world are those that are moving towards who they are serving. You see, in America, we say, oh, just go wait on God like you're at a Greyhound bus stop. Tomorrow, I'm taking the train to St. Pancras, and so I wait for the train to come to me. That's our version of wait. That's not what this verse means. Isaiah 40, 31, the word for wait is really aggressive. Let me show you what the word wait is. Because if you want more of God, you need to stop waiting on him and begin to wait on him. Some of you have become so passive some of us are so passive and we just think at any moment we'll have our breakthrough whenever we're supposed to have our breakthrough. That is not true. We don't get our breakthroughs because we don't know how to wait upon God. I had a nervous breakdown. I was on three medications, Xanax, Zoloft, and Xanax, uh, Clonopin. I was on three of them. My wife watched me have a nervous breakdown. Six months later, I saw blind eyes open through my hands. Not sort of, kind of, blind eyes open. I started seeing gold dust manifest on people, oil flow. I saw miracles, not just little headaches gone, miracles. I've, 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 written, I've written two books on the supernatural. And so it, either God changed his mind and he wanted me to have a nervous breakdown and then he just decided to become nice, or I, I somehow began to think differently, metanoia. I changed the way that I think and I went and I got it. I can tell you it's not option A. God was always that way. I decided to make a change. So here's the passage that did it for me. I have not preached this passage in over a decade. Man, I'm stirred up. I'm not mad, but I am so mad at the enemy. You know how we, we, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but sometimes you wish you did? Don't you wish you could just choke him? I'm gonna choke him right now, right now with the word. I'm gonna choke him with about six passages because some of you, you don't need someone else to lay hands on you. You need to get your own revelation of the word. You need to get it in you and you will become like you'll become like an oak tree, oak of righteousness. Here's the passage that did it. In your imagination, go with me. Simon Peter and the other 11 are in a boat. Jesus put his disciples in a boat. A really horrific storm comes. You don't know who you are until a storm comes. You don't know who you are. You know why I love storms? It shows me where I'm at in the Father. Every time a storm comes, I don't, I don't just find out who God is. I find out who I am and where I am. Storm comes and it goes like this. When I saw this passage with my own eyes, I said, pardon, what, what? Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on a lake. He was about to pass by them. That's Jesus. Jesus was about to pass by them. They are in a boat, they are drowning and he was about to pass by them. Remember the woman with the issue of blood? Jesus didn't go to her. You hear me? Jesus was about to pass by the boat. 
Now this is in Matthew, this is in Mark. Watch the story of Matthew. Same story told by a different person. Jesus is, says to them, take courage, don't be afraid. And, then, and this is what the Lord showed me. Lord, if it's you, Peter replies, tell me to come out on the water. In that moment, the Holy Spirit said, Chad, whose idea was it for Peter to walk on water? It wasn't the Lord's idea. Whose idea was it? It's Peter's. I love the Lord's answer. Lord, if that's you, tell me to come out there. I love the Lord's answer. Come. Some of us are way too chatty. We use way too many words. In our prayer life, when we're using way too many words, a lot of times it's to overcompensate for what we don't carry. Powerful people say short things sometimes in the middle of storms. You'll never see a general in any army on any continent go on and on and on and on about an order. He or she will give that order and that order is executed. The Lord said, come. Simon Peter gets out of the boat. He begins to walk on water. When he sinks, the Holy Spirit said, Chad, who made Simon sink? I said, he did. It wasn't the Lord's idea for him to get on water. The Lord didn't make him sink. That's when I begin to say, what am I capable of? I went from never being able to hear the voice of God to I was hearing him 100 miles an hour because I took one passage. My sheep shall know my voice. And I began to talk to him and he would talk to me. And when I saw Gail's blind eyes open, I said, Lord, what else do I not know? And he showed me, he said, Chad, I want you from now on to begin to treat the Bible like a gun of love bullets. And you pull the trigger and love bullets come out and they hit people's brokenness. He said, because there's enough power in the word itself, treat it like a missile. And so I got full of revelation. And every time I'd pull the trigger, love would come out of the revelation I was getting in the word. And I got into Mark 4, and I realized, wait a minute, Mark 4, a farmer goes to scatter seed. The enemy comes to attack the seed. If I can get the seed of the word of God down in me, the deeper it gets down in me, the more powerful I become. And then one day I found a passage, true story, I have witnesses to this story. I found a passage where Jesus cursed the fig tree. Do you remember this? I had been given a very nice plant, probably a $30 plant, very nice. Actually, it wasn't given to me. It was given to someone else in the office. That plant died, completely dead, gone, in the trash can. I shut the doors of my office. I looked at the Word. I'm not reading some other body else, somebody else's book. I'm reading the Word. I pick up the plant. I speak to the plant. I said, wake up, be healthy, be whole. I talked to the plant. I come back Monday morning, that dead plant was so alive that it actually scared the people I was working with. It actually started to, uh, it carried, um, it started to divide us a little bit. Because everybody likes a Christianity you control. But as soon as things start manifesting, people are like, whoa, 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 I'd rather have a God I control. We don't like a God that gets out of the box and starts moving around. Yet I do. I, don't, I want the Jesus of the scriptures. You see, my wife and I, we love the word and the spirit. We don't love spirit and spirit. We love word and spirit. The Bible's not boring. It is the most fascinating book I have ever read in my life. It cured me of a nervous breakdown. 189 times Paul says in Christ, he loves me, he likes me. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. Do you not know, Chad? that you were once alienated, hostile in mind, performing in evil deeds. But Chad, now you are reconciled before the Father. You are presented before the Father, holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. I went from the fetal position to I ran the enemy out of every place I could get to. 
Some of you are so starving for more of God and you don't need to pay to go to the next great man or woman of God conference here or there. You need to get that word down into you and let that word start germinating in you and let that Mark 4 thing start germinating in you. If I can do it, anybody can do it. I have got story after story after story after story after story and I never even chase stuff. I just want the Father so much. And he, he tell, even this morning, he's just telling me, Chad, if you want more of me, come and get me. Listen, look at this passage in Jeremiah 29. I can summarize the entire scriptures with this passage. This is the narrative of God. You ready? You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Everyone say all. That's it. The leaders of this church. You haven't seen them behind closed doors at 1 a.m. last night on a porch when Debbie's getting hit by the Holy Spirit. Conversations about the kingdom all the time. You know what? God, God told me he was proud of me recently. He said, Chad, I love spending time with you because you never see yourself as a pastor. I don't. I see myself as the father's child. And I say, Father, just don't ever let me lose my hunger and whether I'm here, there, or wherever, I just want to be so hungry. I never want to seek him with a part of my heart. My biggest fear on this earth is ever giving him a part of my heart. I can't stand the thought of it. Go to 1 Corinthians 14.1. It says, eagerly pursue love and earnestly desire all the gifts. Earnestly? What about Hebrews 11.6? He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him, right? Earnestly, diligently, and all. The reason so many people don't get more of God is that he doesn't have all of us. The problem is never on the Father's end. And here's what's amazing. When you fall in love with him, me giving him more of my pursuit or desire, it's not legalism, and it's not, uh, it's not even exhausting. This is what's crazy, and this is the truth. Debbie asked me yesterday, are you tired? I, I prophesied over people for 10 hours probably. And I said, no, I'm more energized. Those who wait upon the Lord, okay, wait. He shall renew. You shall mount up, right, as a wing, as eagles. When we start drying up on the vine, it, the enemy knows this. If the enemy can get you to be passive, spiritual atrophy, is that the word? Starts to set in. But when you tend to him, you're getting stronger. I'm 45 years old, been in the kingdom 15 years, filled with the Holy Spirit 15 years ago. I haven't slowed down a day that I can remember. You Picture it like this. I, right now I'm eating one meal a day. You guys heard about this intermittent fasting? This demonic idea that you don't eat food for a while? Um, I've been doing intermittent fasting, so I eat one meal a day. And that one meal a day, I text my friends, I say, you better pray for this restaurant because this restaurant's in trouble. Today at lunch, in my 60-minute span of time I can eat, which I stretch out sometimes to about 90 minutes. When I get done eating, I feel like I need to go to the hospital to get hooked up to a breathing machine, all right? In the natural realm, when you eat a lot of food, you can't move. You get full. In the kingdom of God, it's the exact opposite. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. Now, I'm going to share a nugget with you, and this is going to light somebody up, and I hope you remember the rest of your life. Whenever the Father is blessing you in a season of hunger, eat. 
Because if it's there, eat, and it'll never leave you as long as you keep eating. I'm asking you the question tonight. I don't see myself as a pastor. I'm not... I'm just here because he wants me here and I'm glad to be here. This place feels like home. How hungry are you? All right, I cannot believe he's making me tell this story. Here we go. Um, you guys know that the angelic realm is real? Is this on? Can y'all hear me? This on? Um, you know, like hundreds of times angels show up in the box. Remember Cornelius? He's not even Jewish and he's doing intercession. He's praying. Remember what happens? Angel appears. Boom. Cornelius, every time you pray, it goes up in the Father's nostrils and he loves it. Cornelius is like, whoa. I'm in Quadabacay, Haiti. Before I landed on the airplane, the Father told me to put this in my journal. I wrote in my journal, the Father's gonna open up my eyes to the angelic realm. I didn't know he meant literally. I just figured like in a dream or something. We're ministering one night. There's about a thousand Haitians there. One light bulb. True story. It's a great story. One light bulb. About a thousand Haitians. And the angelic was so strong that um, <laughs> I felt like we were in heaven. The worship went four hours, and we, we called it Zumba worship because we danced around for four hours. And for a fat guy, that's exhausting, four hours of worship. And... Um, Gary Hippolyte, who's the most Christian person I've ever met, been a tremendous mentor to me, he comes over and he goes, brother, brother, they are everywhere. Angels are everywhere. I said, I know, Gary, they're everywhere. Well, about that time, this man, this young man named Amos comes over, and Amos takes a camera, and he takes a picture of me and this little kid that was in school, and when he took the picture, the flash went off, it, the sun was going down. In the natural realm, not in the spirit, in the natural realm, when the flash, I saw a 12-foot angel that looked like he could win a bodybuilding contest on anywhere in the world. I wish I could tell you that I said, oh, Father, promise me that this would happen. What a great moment. I almost needed a change of underpants in that moment. <laughs> I jumped back and I yelled something. It scared me. And he smiled right at me. I'm walking around, other people on our team have encounters with angels that night, and this is what the Father says to me. Chad, over the coming years, it's gonna get really weird for you. I did this tonight to prime the pump. You've come after me so hard, you've gotten to a place in me that I'm gonna open up your eyes to the things you wanted to see. What I didn't tell you is five years before that, I was in Atlanta, Georgia, going over a bridge called Spaghetti Junction, and I said, Father, will you open up my eyes to the angelic realm? And he said, no, you're not mature enough. And I said, well, tell me how you really feel. And Five years pass, I'm in Haiti, it happens, and since then, it has happened quite often. Has anyone in here ever had an encounter uh, with the angelic realm? Anyone? Raise your hand, leave them up there. Well, there, it's all in the scriptures. It's all in the scriptures. But when it happens to humans, humans now still have the same uh, response that humans in the Bible had. What does the angel always say? Do not be afraid. Fear not. You know why the angels say, don't be afraid? Because we're afraid. You know what image we are in the Bible? You know what metaphor we're used uh, to describe us? Sheep. I don't care how tough you think you are. You're just a sheep. When an angel shows up, the sheep is like, <laughs> So this is what happens. You told me I could share anything, right? So here it goes. 
Um, this, this prophetess lady in our church, she comes to me last July and says, I need to give a word to you and your wife. And I said, okay. She comes to our house. She, uh, she's very accurate. Uh, that's putting it lightly. She's frightening. There's always two or three of those people in a church. Uh, she walks towards, towards people, and they'll just kind of get out of the way and walk out. And uh, she said, the Father's going to begin to take you into heaven. You'll never go when you want to go. He'll take you when you want to go, uh, when, when he wants you to go. I said, okay. It's happened four times since last July. And one of the times I was in worship at our church, about the size of this, maybe a little bit deeper. It looks a lot like this. I was on the front row. There was not even 100 people in the first service yet. It was a 9 a.m. service. And all I said was, in the first song, I, I just genuinely, with, I just said, Father, I just think you're amazing. I didn't ask him. To, I don't really ever ask the Father to do anything for me. I, I just pursue him because I want him. It's just, I asked him to never let my hunger decrease, and it hasn't. And it's just, I love going after him. The, the journey is, is the destination, you know? And about that time, I get punched in the stomach, boom, in the spirit. I bend over, and I feel like this. Now, Marion had given me the word. And I began to cry so hard that someone on the security team came and said, are you okay? And I couldn't answer him. It lasted four and a half minutes, which seemed like an hour. It was about four and a half minutes. When I got punched into the stomach, in my stomach, I got yanked into heaven. I saw hundreds of thousands of people everywhere worshiping with these banners. I saw this city in the distance, and out of the city, it's way up on a hill, I could hear and feel. There was a light coming out of the city. There was this crystal river that winded up, and there were people everywhere. And to my left, there was this blue angel. And this blue angel, did, he looked like a military angel, and I was scared to look at him. I'd glance at him, and I'd look back to my right. And the whole time, I'm doing this. Now, you have to understand, if you hung out with me, like even tonight, I'm not, you'd probably be disappointed. I'm boring. I, I love cheese. Um, I don't drive fast. I'm not a thrill seeker. I'm boring. I'm, this isn't even my personality. Three nights later, I'm, I wake up in the middle of the night, and the same angel standing beside my bed. Plugged something into my chest. Since then, I've had other people around the world, the country, that is, of um, angelic encounters, people that know us, know our church, all these random words coming in. And then a young lady on our staff named Lindsay Bartanian said, do you not remember that Brian Schwartz, the prophet, three years ago prophesied that the Father was delivering to Bridgeway Church, the Blue Angel Igniter. If I ever would have heard myself saying some of these things coming out of my mouth years ago, I would have thought I have completely lost my mind. Well, the Father told me all this stuff's gonna begin to happen, and it did. And since then, wherever I go, whoever I pray for, people feel like they just get ignited. 